Good morning. Good morning. All right. Today we're going to be continuing our series in First John. So if you have your Bibles, we can go to First John chapter four. And there's a lot we're going to be getting through today. So we'll just jump right into it. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of all that is going on in our world today, in the midst of um, the blurriness between what is real and what is fake, God, I pray that you would give us your wisdom, your discernment, that you would give us your mind and your eyes. May we live for you, God, and we ask that you would change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, So probably about 10 years ago, my wife and I, uh, for one of our anniversaries, we were in New York, went to New York for the first time, and uh, we, you know, the Twin Towers had, weren't, weren't there, but they were still building, you know, it was, it was, you could just, it was a big construction zone when we went there, and uh, I remember, I mean, that's like at one end of the, of Manhattan, right, so from there, we actually walked from there to Times Square. Now, it's not something that I would recommend, because uh, it's a really, really long walk, uh, but we wanted to, it was our first time in, in New York, and we wanted to kind of just get a feel for the city. And I, I feel like walking, taking public transport is one of the best ways to just get a feel for, for the culture and who lives there and all that. So by the time we had made it to Chinatown, it was dinner time, and it was getting dark, and we ate at a restaurant, <clears throat> and then we uh, just went shopping. There's like a ton of different shops there, and there's this one purse store. So we went in, and it was, it was nice, and it was, it was not too bad, and, and this, this lady came to us, and she's like, what do you like? You like Louis Vuitton? You like Gucci? Like, I was like, we have no money. But we were like, yeah, I mean, those are nice. Those are nice. She's like, okay, here, come with me. Come with me. And I'm like, where are we going? It's a store. You know? And like, so she brings us to the back of the store. And it, it's, like, it's like we got to a wall. Like that wall. It's like, it's just, where, where are we going to go? And she moves this thing to reveal this hidden door. She opens it up and she's like, come follow me. At that point, we probably shouldn't have gone. <laughs> uh, probably should have been like, hey, maybe this is not legit. I don't know. But anyway, she, you know, we had already committed and want to be, you know, people of our word. So we, you know, we, we followed her up the stairs. We were so naive. Uh, followed her up the stairs and we went to the attic and it was like, you couldn't even stand. It was like this. Right? And it was like full of Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada bags, like everything. And she's like, what do you want? If you buy two, I'll give you a deal. Maybe three. You know, are you sure? And then we were like, oh, yeah. I, oh, I think we got to go. I'm sorry. And we walked down the stairs. And we're like, did anyone see us? <laughs> uh, but, but what's interesting is, you know, you're, you're there. And, I mean, we've heard of, you know, there's a ton of fake, you know, material. And, you know, there's just a big industry. But did you know that when it comes to fake and, and imitation material, there's actually levels of fakeness. Like something being fake, is, it's not all the same. There's A level, B level, and C level. Like, I'm serious. Like, it really does exist. A C level imitation, like Louis Vuitton bag, probably says Louisville Vuitton. Right? I mean, like, that's, that's what it is. It, it looks from far away, it looks the same thing. But once you get up close, it's just not the same thing. Uh, and then B level... Right, the logo's there. Louis Vuitton is there. It looks real, uh, but it's just—it's just you know the quality isn't as good. So maybe the thread count, you know, it's just—it's just not made with the same level of excellence. And then A level is—I mean, it, there's no difference between the real thing and that. Like the nuances, the stitching, everything is completely the same. You're actually still paying at least a hundred, if not a couple hundred dollars, for the bag or for the wallet 
I mean, it's not a thousand, but you're still paying a couple hundred for that A-level imitation. So now what in the world does this all have to do with First John chapter 4, right? Well, don't you find that these days the line between what's real and fake is getting increasingly blurry? Right? If, if there's a word of the year, it should probably be fake news. Right? I mean, legitimately, I, I, I wish there was a place where I could vote for what the word of the year should be. And it really, it should be fake news. Have you ever noticed when you go on Facebook and someone posts a link, there's usually like a little preview, like the image and a little bit of a description? So you, before, advertisers could have actually determined, this is what I want the picture to be, this is what I want the text to be. But now, Facebook doesn't even really let you do that anymore because they want to try to prevent fake news. They want to pull that from the actual site rather than whoever the advertiser is just put in whatever when it really doesn't lead you to that. Right? So sarcasm has definitely played into this. I mean, parody websites, it's so hard these days to, like, Justin Bieber, I mean, here's something funny, Justin Bieber, uh, like, I read this article that Justin Bieber was going to be a church planter. And I was like, what? So I look at the source and I'm like, it's, it's not a parody website. I'm like, this is really weird. And I like keep on Googling. I'm like, is this real? Is it like, who else is talking about this? Who is it? And I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know where the guy is now, but he basically canceled his world tour. And he's, I mean, it's like, there's something going on. Is like, I don't know where he is today, but at that moment when the article was out, he actually canceled his world tour uh, because maybe he wanted to get involved in a church plant. I don't know if he was going to be a church planter or whatnot. You know, news tends to sensationalize things, right? Like that, to get, to get you to click on it. But, I mean, that's the world that we live in. So as Christians, is the solution then to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, not read the news, just cloister ourselves, and, you know, not listen to secular music? I mean, is that the solution? No, I mean... It's not. It's not the solution. The solution is actually, as it says in Matthew ten sixteen, is that we need to be wiser and sharper than ever before. Right? It says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The only way that we can live in the world that we live in today is to grow in discernment. And as children of God, we have a wise father. We have a wise father, and God's intent is not that we live in ignorance. God's intent is that we grow in wisdom, right? Psalm 19.7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise, right? Proverbs 1.5 says, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. Coming to the Lord is actually, he's saying, Hey, I want you to grow. I want you to learn. I want you to be able to discern truth from error. I just heard this this last week. Uh, this pastor in New York, his name is Tim Keller, and he was just talking about this idea of exclusivism. Right? And you know how some people say, I mean, Christians, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Right? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Yet we live in a world where uh, the world will look at Christians and look at that view and say, you are so, uh, you are so exclusivist. Right? I mean, that's so exclusive. Right? And what Tim Keller actually said, he's saying, okay, let's flip it. 
Okay, your view in that every, any way, you, you can live any way that you want and all paths lead to God, that actually implies that you need to be good enough, you need to live a moral enough type of life to get to God. Because the people that hold that view that say, no, I mean, there is no one way, all ways are good, they're not going to say that a mass murderer is going to get to God regardless of which view and way they go. Right? They're saying, you have to be good enough. You have to live a certain sort of life to get there. So what Tim Keller said was, your view that all paths lead to God is actually more exclusive than the gospel. Because the gospel is saying, hey, everyone can get to God as long as you come before the Lord, repent of your sins, and acknowledge that he is the way. I mean, that is actually more inclusive <laughs> Do you, see, do you see that? That's actually more inclusive than the, what the world says. The Lord, being a follower of Christ, is not about having this cloistered worldview where you just need to know this and don't look at anything else and don't read anything else and don't learn the philosophers of the world. You know, don't learn about the other religions because then, I mean, that is not what this is. Learn about the other religions. Learn about what is out there. The, what, what we are reading here is, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, Grow in wisdom. Grow in wisdom. Be able to make this, this, these decisions because the gospel will stand, you know, when you put the gospel of Jesus Christ up to every other religion, it'll stand the Pepsi challenge. It will. It will. And if all you know is this and you don't, I mean, then test. Grow in wisdom. Learn. Because the gospel is actually more inclusive than any other religion out there in the world. So what are we to do in light of this? Right, what are we to do in light of this? The primary question that we're going to be addressing today is, is this question right here on the screen. How can we grow in wisdom and discernment? In light of all that we've just talked about, fake news, all of this, how can we grow in wisdom and discernment so that we can discern truth from error? So if you look at 1 John 4, we're going to, we're going to dig into verse 1. Right here's what it says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what is a spirit? When you see the word spirit in the scriptures, there's not one translation or one definition for the word spirit. In fact, there are, a, a, I mean, there are at least, I mean, I think we're going to go through about six or seven or eight different nuances of the word spirit because it's so important for what we're talking about here. If you, I mean, in my Bible, it says the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Like, what does it mean when you see the word spirit? Okay, so here's the first way that we can translate or understand the word spirit. When you look at the scriptures, when you see the word spirit, it could mean the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's not what it means in this context, but it can mean the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.16, what happened when Jesus was baptized? He, he got up from the water and the heavens opened from him. What happened? The Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God. I mean, that's referring to the Holy Spirit. John 4.24, God is Spirit, right? It's referring to the Holy Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So when you see the word spirit, it can mean the Holy Spirit. When you see the word spirit, it can also mean the essence of a person. Source of insight, feeling, or will. Right? So Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Matthew 26, 41, stay awake and pray. This is in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is saying to his disciples, stay awake and pray so you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you see how that is different than the Holy Spirit? The next one is evil spirits and demons. So if you look at Matthew 8, 16, uh, we read, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word. Right? So in that context, it's refer- spirit, the word spirit is referring to evil spirits and demons. Well, John 3, 8 actually indicates another way that we can understand the word spirit. It's the wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Right? John 3, 8. And you hear its sound. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So wind, spirit, spirit can also be translated as wind. Spirit can also be translated as breath, our breath, or the breathing out of air. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Right? You've got to look at the context there to understand exactly what this verse means. But it's, you know, you see spirit being translated as breath. Uh, here, this is interesting. When you are looking through, the, reading through the Bible and you see the word spirit and then you see the word right next to it, flesh or flesh and spirit are kind of in context with one another, that spirit is referring to the sin in our lives. So 2 Corinthians 7.1, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. See that connection there? That's referring to the sin in our lives. Romans 8.26, spirit can be translated as tongues as well, as tongues. Uh, different language, uh, you know, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings, with tongues. The next way that we can understand the word Spirit is by, you know, it's when God speaks through his prophets. So Acts twenty one eleven, he came to us, he took Paul's belt, uh, tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, and then the Holy the Spirit is being you know, God is speaking through Paul, his prophet, right there. And God is speaking through prophets that also spoke to Paul as well. So that, that's, I mean, that's a lot of the different ways that spirit is translated. So what does it mean? And, and it's important that, I, you know, we spent a few minutes walking through all those uh, ways to understand the word spirit. Because oftentimes when we read a verse like this, you know, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. If you have a study Bible... And there are a lot of good study Bibles out there. It'll sometimes have some commentary when you read verses like that. But if you don't, and I mean, this is not a study Bible here. Sometimes you read that, and a lot of times we read spirit, and we either see it as the Holy Spirit, or we see it as, you know, the, the evil one. Right? That's a lot of times the way that we understand and interpret spirit. But that's not the only two ways that the word spirit is interpreted. So in this context, in this particular verse where John advises us to not believe every spirit but to test them, it's important that we understand that he is not talking about God or the Holy Spirit. In this verse, John is talking to us about a different kind of spirit. He's talking about a spirit that is not of God. Let's take a look at these two verses here, 2 Corinthians 11.4. And, and in this verse here, this is a, an example of you know, what we see here in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, this word spirit it's translated as the same way in 2 Corinthians 11.4. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, 
Right? It's the same context here, which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted. You put up with it splendidly. That's the same spirit that we read in verse 1. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, it says, Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word. Right? So that's the same context there. So what does this all mean here? John here is talking about both people. When he says spirit, he's talking about two things. He's talking about people who are not living according to the ways of God. That's what he's referring to here. And also evil spirits who are directing and inhabiting them. That's what this verse here is talking about. Let's say it a different way. He's saying, hey, dear friends, do not believe, you see it in the first verse, dear friends, do not believe everything that you see with your eyes. He's saying, dear friends, do not believe everything that these people in the world that you might be enamored by and and look up to that they are living and saying. He's saying, dear friends, do not believe all of that. He's saying, dear friends, don't believe the highlight reels that you see in the media or, or of your friends or on Facebook or, you know, everything that you see from other people. Don't believe what you see right there because that's not all that there is. He's saying, dear friends, everything you see on Instagram is not all that there is. Yesterday, the tornado warning uh, happened and, I mean... You know, sirens were going on and, you know, uh, we have a closet underneath our stairs. So I cleared out all the junk that goes in closets, right? I mean, closets are not clean and you just kind of put everything in there. And he's like, cleared it all out, brought a case of water in. And I was like, you know, you know, let's, let's close the door. Anyways, we're all settled in. The kids are watching the iPad and we open the door up and we do this. Hey, let's take a selfie. Because, come on, I mean, I'm, I didn't grow up with tornadoes here. So it's like, I'm from Canada and, you know, you just, it doesn't, that doesn't happen that often. So we took a selfie and my son is like, close the door. You're supposed to close the door. And I'm like, no, but the, there's no light in our closet. The photo's not going to turn out that well. We got to open the door. <laughs> Legitimately. And we took a selfie. We posted it. What you don't see, and one of, my, one of our friends from Canada was like, man, you guys sure do look happy to be in a tornado. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, okay. But what you don't see is how messy our house was. Because you don't Instagram that, right? Right? You don't Instagram all that. It was so messy that after dinner, I was like, I have to vacuum the house. <laughs> right? I was like, I, and you never Instagram that. What you see here in this verse is saying, dear friends, do not believe the glitz and glamour of this life of others that you might be enamored by. Because the enemy presents, this is what he does. He presents his best and brightest ways to convince us and enamor us with what is temporary. The enemy tries to convince us that, hey, working to get that beach house in Palm Springs is what life is all about. He's saying working to visit the lights of New York is what life is what you need to do to get there. He's saying fame, fortune, instant celebrity, getting to the C-suite, wealth and possessions. The enemy is saying that that is what the goal of life should be. That is what you need to obtain and look to and look toward. But John is advising us here to not take everything at face value because there's always, there's always, always, always a backstory. Now what I'm about to say may make a few of you uncomfortable here, but I just, as I was praying through this and preparing this message, 
instead of just naming out this issue, I just felt like we had to dig a little bit deeper in here because it's one of the most, it's one of the ways that the enemy trips us up, this world up, and is continue, it's, it's one of the ways that he, that he pervades this worldview that is tripping so many Christians up. And it's this, it's pornography. Why is pornography so pervasive in our society and in our culture? The enemy is winning the battle because he is convincing the world that porn is harmless. What he does, and this is a symptom, this is what this passage is all about. He's saying, hey, there's glitz, there's glamour, that's, that's, just look at it with your eyes. I mean, he's saying that is what this is all about. Hey, I even heard some people advocate for the porn industry saying it's creating jobs. I mean, how twisted is that? Right, and they're like, oh no, but people, I mean, the people who are there, I mean, they want to be there, and they're making money, they're so rich, and I'm like, no, dude, the fact is, they are there because they are trafficked. They are enslaved. Yes, there are a few people that may choose to do it, but the majority, it's an industry filled with evil, harm, slavery, and trafficking. So what John is saying here is he's saying the next time you are tempted with pornography, don't just look at what's in front of you, look at what's behind. Because the person that you are looking at, the person you are infatuated over and lusting after is actually someone's daughter or son. Have you ever thought of it that way? Do you really think that that person wants to be there? Do you really think that that person right there said, when I grow up, this is what I want my life to be about? What if this person was your daughter or son? What if this person was your sibling or a parent? There's always a story behind the story. So John here in verse 1 is saying, dear friends, do not believe everything you see. That's, that's, that is what he's talking about here in this. Don't believe everything you see. Instead, test the spirits. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. And friends, let's be straight here. The porn industry is not from God. It's full of false prophets who have gone out into the world who are trying to win your heart and lead you away from the one that truly satisfies Love, right? Love, the love that our souls are longing for, the love that we are desperately searching and seeking after is never found in false prophets. It's never found in what is originated from the evil one. Because what the evil one does through pornography and through every other way, I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right from the Garden of Eden, Eden to Jesus being in the desert to today, those are the three major ways that the enemy tempts us. And what he does with those three things is though he, he creates smoke screens, he creates vapor, he creates mirrors. And it's like it looks real, but once you get in and get through, there's nothing, it's emptiness. So friends, why do we live for that? When Jesus says, come to me, why? It's like this, right? It's like Thanksgiving is this week, and let's say you're about to have a, you know, a turkey and the fixings and you know, three types of pies. and I mean, you just, It's just like you're so excited for that amazing meal, but an hour before, I mean, that hour, two hours before dinner, it, are, those are like the hardest, right? All right and sometimes we want to dig into the chips, dig into the orders, and, but what happens is th- the dinner doesn't taste as good when you fill yourself up with the other stuff. 
What the enemy is saying is he's saying, hey, here's a bag of Halloween candy. Gorge yourself out. That's what he's saying. He's like, you're hungry. You have needs. You need, I mean, you're, I mean, you're, 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 you don't want to starve yourself. You don't, so here's a bag of Halloween candy when an hour later you're going to have the feast of your life. And that's what the enemy does with temptation. You're longing for the things of this world. Here's the thing. You're longing for that thing that makes you want to gorge yourself in Halloween candy before Thanksgiving dinner. That longing is actually there because your soul is longing for God. Let me give you an example. When you are tempted to lust, your soul, what your soul is really actually longing for is intimacy with God. And when you go after lust, what happens afterward? You are not satisfied. It's there over and over again because your soul is actually longing for intimacy with God. Let's say you're tempted for greed, with greed, right, and hoarding, and you want more and more and more. What that desire is, is actually your soul longing for provision from God. When you are tempted for fame, your soul is actually longing for recognition from God. Every temptation that we have is actually a longing for something deeper and something greater. And it's only that it's only in God that it satisfies, that we are truly satisfied. So friends, why should we allow ourselves to gorge ourselves on this Halloween candy when the feast is evidently there? And God is saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. First John 4 Uh, Let's take a look at verse 2 and 3 here. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. These verses here offer us a framework to discern truth from error, from truth from falsehood. And, what, and so, that, so that when we have this framework for discerning truth from falsehood, so that we can know the difference between vapor and reality, right? So here's the first litmus test. Everyone and everything that sincerely believes and confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and those that don't are not from God. So what, the next time you're tempted or faced with a decision, ask yourself these questions. Does this thing I'm about to do is it going to bring honor and glory to God? Or is this thing that I'm about to do, is it going to nail Jesus on the cross? It's a very simple framework. We know it's harder than that, right? It is harder than just a framework and a decision. But think about those two questions there, right? Verse two, it says, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming, right? Every spirit that confesses, every spirit that confesses. I mean, what does it mean? It's interesting, isn't it? What does it mean to confess? Sometimes when we think confession, we think, you know, confessing our sin. But is that really the only way that confession, you know, is that, is that all that confession is? Or can we sometimes, and do we sometimes, use the word confession in another way? Right In this context right here, confessing is about acknowledging publicly, right? It's about claiming, it's about professing. 
But that's not all that there is, right? So it's, you know, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, right? So every spirit that confesses, that publicly professes, that says, that shares, that speaks with their mouth, that's one way that we can understand the word confession. But confession is also about your, the allegiances of your heart. Confession is actually also about commitment, because what you commit to, it then turns into what you profess. So take a look at this verse, and what if we were to change the word confess with the word commit? Every spirit that commits that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not commit themselves to Jesus is not from God. I mean, this way of understanding confession is so important, because a lot of times, our actions are not the same as our word, our, as our, as our, sorry, our words are not the same as our actions, right? Like we are so hypocritical as a people, as human beings. We are so influenced, even though you know this is what you're going to do, you know, it's by peer pressure or, you know, the group think or whatever it is around us. We are so, so, so easily influenced. So while we may believe something in our heart, our actions don't always line up with our words. And what this passage is saying is it's not just about, hey, saying that Jesus is, you know, Jesus is real, but it's about committing. It's about living. So what does this mean for us? Yes, we have a litmus test to discern whether something is real or fake news, right? Has this person committed themselves to Christ or have they not? Are they honoring and glorifying God in their actions and their words and their deeds, or are they nailing him to the cross, right? I mean, that's a litmus test to discern what is truth and what is false, but how should that change the way that we live? You know, is it, hey, Daniel, thanks. I already knew that. Thanks for making me feel bad. Thanks for making me feel guilty. Thanks for showing me all the ways that I mess up and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm two-sided and I say something and I don't actually live it. And you're like, Daniel, thank you. Thank you for making my Sunday bad. You know, the, isn't this supposed to be like the Thanksgiving sermon? Like you're supposed to talk about, you know, food and, I mean, talk about food, right? But, you know, you're talking about all the way that you're thankful. Isn't that what this is all about? And Daniel, why are you, why are you talking about all this? Why can't you preach from something better? Right? Well... What I'm not saying is we're bad, so let's try harder. That's not what I'm saying. That doesn't actually change us. And that's not the gospel. It's not just about trying harder. It's not just about changing our behavior. What I'm sharing is, yes, let's recognize where we're at. Let's recognize our duplicity. Let's recognize how often and how easy and how likely we are to gorge ourselves on the Halloween candy instead of going after the feast, right? We know that. We know that. We know that self-control is very difficult. We know that there are these sins that you may have struggled with for the last 15 or 20 years. We know that. So what is the solution that John is presenting here? Is he just saying, hey, this is truth and this is error, so just think your way into change? That doesn't really work either, does it? And that's why verse 4 is there. And verse 4, if you were to memorize, if you have not memorized a verse recently, if you are not memorizing verses or have not kind of hidden God's word in your heart, then I want to encourage you to write verse 4 out. 
put it on your, uh, you know, your vanity mirror there, you know, while you're brushing your teeth. Put it, you know, by your bedside. Put it on your favorite cereal box, right? I mean, just put it wherever you can. And because this verse here is the key to what we are talking about here. This verse is key to understanding how to live differently in light of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right, this is what verse four says. You are from God. Little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of every day, this grind, we need to remember, friends, that we are first and foremost children of God. Our next step is not to do, our next step is to be. Our next step is to be because everything that we do comes out of who we are. There's a reason why we are human beings and not human doings. Right? I know it's a little cute and trite, but it's true. There is a reason why we are human beings. As we see in this verse, yes, we see that the evil one is real. We see that, yes, we will fail. Yes, we will mess up. Yes, the spirit of Antichrist exists. But the beautiful thing about it all is that we are not our own. We are from God and that we are his children. John here is reminding us, hey, in the midst of the falseness, in the midst of everything that is trying to push us away from God and and bring up smoke screens in our life, in the midst of all of this, John is saying you are not alone, and you don't have to wrestle through it all on your own. He is saying, not only are we together a church, not only together are we a community, not only together we as the fellowship are a family that has each other's backs, that we stand with one another, but he's also, he is also saying that when you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. He is saying that you have God's presence dwelling within you. And as we read in this verse, Right? Verse 4. Take a look at it. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What does that mean? Why is that so significant? Just think about that. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We live in an incredibly broken world, right? There are glimpses of hope. Yes, I recognize that. There are glimpses of light and there's glimpses of love. But in the midst of, here's an example, in the midst of Thanksgiving and how great of a holiday that it is and how, how great food might be and in great, uh, you know, how great the hope and the love and the light you might experience during that, what about those who were here last year but are not going to be here this year, right? Or maybe you don't have anyone to spend Thanksgiving with. In the midst of hope, there's also brokenness. We live in this tension. And John is saying here, in the midst of this tension, in the midst of this evil, in the midst of the brokenness, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I don't know if you've been following what happened a couple weeks ago at Sutherland Springs, Texas. But John is saying here, you know, in the midst of what happened there, in the midst of, I mean, Half of the congregation was killed. The pastor's daughter was killed. In the midst of losing your loved ones, in the midst of losing half your congregation, in the midst of losing your daughter, in the midst of it all, 
what we are reading here is that God is greater than it all. When asked how he made sense of the tragedy, the pastor of Sutherland Springs, First Baptist Sutherland Springs said this, I don't understand, but I know my God does. Here's another statement that he said a little bit, a few days later. I know my God has a plan. This was last Sunday, actually. I know my God has a plan. And the more I see what's transpired through that weekend and since, how can we have Thanksgiving through a time like this? Because those 26 are now no longer with us, but they are dancing in his presence today. Friends, we are overcomers in Christ Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Here's another quote from that pastor, Frank Pomeroy. Just because we are wounded doesn't mean we should turn back. We should fight harder because we are wounded. How is that possible? How is it possible that in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of all of that, how is it possible that we can believe that what this passage is saying is true? How can we believe that in the light of this, that how, how is it true that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world? How can we believe that, 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 that we have conquered the evil one? How can we believe and remotely have hope that we are overcomers? How can we bring this to our hearts and embrace this with our lives? Well, it's because for Christians, this world is not all that there is. That's how. Though we are suffering presently, the dead in Christ are rejoicing. The world is not all that there is. The life that we are living is not everything because God is preparing a place for us where there's not going to be any more cancer. Wouldn't that be amazing? Where there's no more tears, no more suffering, sickness, where there's no more depression. So in light of that, in light of the hope that we have in Christ, we can confidently say and live out the fact that in light of that future reality, we can say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Remember earlier I said that our doing comes out of our being? But when we realize that there's nothing we can ever do to make God love us more, when we realize that there is nothing that we can ever do to make God love us less, and that we don't deserve anything that we have today. Even the fact that we are sitting here and living here, we are the most privileged people in the world. Now, I had to replace my garage door this last week, and it cost $800, and it was really painful. And I was like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. First world problems, right? But we are the most privileged people in this world. And did we deserve that? Did we deserve to be born did, here? Did we deserve to have the family? Did we deserve to live in, an, in, the, in as beautiful of an area as Middle Tennessee as we do? This realization, right? This realization of our life, it's actually a posture, right? This posture of recognition that this world is not all that there is, this posture, this recognition that, that we don't actually deserve any of this, this posture, this, this humble posture that God is actually preparing for us a place that we cannot earn, that we don't deserve, and that, we, that, that it really is truly a free gift. This posture 
This posture that I'm talking about right now, this posture is not a result of what we've done. It's a result of being. Do you see that? And this posture is the beginning of wisdom. We're talking about fake news and real news, right? We're talking about how do you discern truth from error. Well, it's about this posture. It's about starting with this posture. It's not about trying harder or doing more or doing less. It's about saying, I am a beloved child of God. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Everything that I do, everything that I look for, everything that I run after, it's, it's, and everything that trips me up in this life is actually me longing, my soul longing for what is greater. So stop being tempted, friends, by the Halloween candy right an hour before Thanksgiving dinner. Let yourself feel your, your stomach rumble. Let yourself feel hunger. Because when we do that, that hunger, that stomach rumbling, is, and this is why fasting is such a critical part of our Christian life. Because when you, fear that, when you feel that hunger, when you feel that rumbling, it's actually your body saying, hey, Though you're going to eat this food, I'll be back. Because the only thing that will truly satisfy is God. The Lord has wired that in us. That's the posture of wisdom. It's to be. All right? 